Abraham, let's do it. Chapter 22 of Genesis. Stay with me, please, as we honor God's word. After this one, there's only one more sermon in the story of Abraham. So we're all the way at the end. We've been in this series for a long time. And this is a big one. This is a big one. Get ready. Not the sermon. The story. Okay. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went on, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother. <laughs> Love that one. Light year. 
Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jilaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Geham, Tahash, and Macha. <laughs> Blessed be God's word. Have a seat. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for how it speaks to us in new ways every day, because your mercies are new every morning, and your word is alive and active. And so we ask that today, this word that is spoken to many for all, uh, almost all of time, uh, that you would speak it again in a way that meets us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Mothers are amazing, aren't they? Aren't they amazing? I, I have this picture, the art of mothering. I have this picture of this woman who she's at Giant shopping and she's got like a big cart and uh, there's a kid in a car seat like strapped onto the, onto the cart and there's another kid like in the thing <laughs> sitting there and she's giving them like Cheerios and there's another like little toddler who's kind of running around. These three kids and um, she's got a coffee in one hand somehow in the midst of it because she needs it. And she's sitting there talking to another mom who she just ran into, presumably like an old friend from high school or something who she ran into. And she's sitting there actually having a conversation with this person. And the amount of life that's happening all around her right now, there's just total chaos of life everywhere. And somehow she's still having some sort of intelligent conversation and seems to be handling the situation with relative ease, unlike the rest of us who are watching, you know, who were like totally stressed out just watching her. And somehow she's handling the chaos of the situation with poise and having a conversation. And anytime something comes up with the kid, there's like a bottle here, and Cheerios here, and a, a rope around the neck here, or something, you know. And there, there's all of this going on. And somehow you're like the grace that she walks in to be able to handle that, like all of that. And like, what in the world? Well, she didn't go one day from being just a single girl who's kind of enjoying life at college to the next day having all of that. You know, the art of motherhood, it's learned in time. It starts with, you know, a mom who's waking up in the middle of the night and can't sleep. And then it's like going to the grocery store with a baby who's screaming and your hair is like all over the place and you're trying to figure out what to do. And there's like the kid kind of like losing it in the car and all the different stuff that goes along with that. And in time, what seemed to be so crazy on the front end is peanuts compared to the craziness now. And the bandwidth to be able to handle chaos grows and it grows to the extent where things that look like rest to a mom for the rest of us is like insanity. But that looks like rest to a mom. Like, you know, I can't wait to, I can't wait. My husband actually has the kids this, this time while I go to the store grocery shopping. I can't wait to go grocery shopping. Really? That's messed up, you know? <laughs> and then for any mom who has a partner, we know that the single moms among us have it, 10 times more, right? And we look at that and we say the art of mothering is like, it, it doesn't just happen. 
that there's a progression in learning what that's like and how to handle all of that. It, it, and it's, it's similar to when you, if you were to walk into the Sistine Chapel and look up at the ceiling, if you were to sit there in, in Florence, I believe it is, and look at the statue of David, if you were to go into the Louvre and look at Mona Lisa, or where, and you look at these incredible pieces of art, whether you're thinking about Michelangelo or Picasso or Da Vinci or whoever you're thinking of, these masterpieces that they painted, that they crafted, it didn't happen on their first shot. The amount of stone that they chipped, the amount of paint that they spilled and the amount of canvas that they probably wasted in the process of all of that as they learned light and shadows and as they learned color mixtures and texture and all of those things. It doesn't matter how naturally talented they were. It took an enormous amount of time and practice and energy to get to the place where they learned how the, the simple motor skill of how to take the hand and make it do just the right stroke. That takes time. It takes practice. Today, what we're looking at is a masterpiece of faith. This is in all of Scripture, aside from Jesus Christ Himself, this may be the very picture of faith in the Scriptures. I mean, honestly, I think this takes more faith than David with Goliath. I think this takes more faith than Daniel in the lion's den. It's their kid. It's their kid. I mean, come on. And when we get to Hebrews and it talks about all the great stories of faith, it holds Abraham out as the guy of faith. And when Paul talks about faith in Galatians, this is the guy. He goes back to our father Abraham, the lineage of faith that we walk in that is started by our father Abraham. Man, this is the story right here. And this masterpiece of faith did not happen overnight. Abraham didn't wake up one day and decide, I can have this level of faith. Abraham walked a long, rough journey where he learned to trust God in so many ways and he learned what it was like when he didn't trust God. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And there was a mess of a life behind him and a whole series of things that went really well when he did trust God to the point where now he's at the climax, at the, at the very center, at the height, at the crescendo of his life. And he has practiced. And his heart is ready to trust his God. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing when we look at, at a person of faith. Now, the interesting thing about maturing in faith is typically when we think of maturity, we think of a tree growing big and strong with leaves all over it, or we think of a, a, a little guy who all of a sudden his voice is changing and his bones are getting bigger and muscles are starting to pop out and hair's coming in weird spots and there's smells and odors and all that stuff. And eventually the guy learns to work and learns to think, hopefully, and you know all of those kinds of things that we think are maturing to the point that we're that person's becoming more independent and more capable of handling life. But when it comes to faith, it's this weird kind of Benjamin Button backwards sort of thing. Because Jesus says, unless you become like one of these children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
and that you have to have faith like a child. And there's something about faith that has kind of a reverse maturation where instead of getting to the place where I have enough intelligence and enough strength and enough confidence to control my circumstances, to be independent, it's exactly the opposite. It's unless I have enough humility and enough faith and enough brokenness in my life to realize that I have zero control over anything that I thought I had control over, I can learn to trust that I have a dad who's got it under control. And it's a reverse sort of maturity. Because faith is the essence of things unseen in the presence of things hoped for. It's a whole different commodity. It's a whole different universe. The kingdom is the kingdom that's unseen. And so what maturity looks like in the kingdom is learning to become a child. But it still takes practice to become a child in faith. Little by little, we learn to let go of control and let go of our own wisdom and trust another. And in the process of that, we grow in faith. It is not a foregone conclusion that just because at some point I had an encounter with God that I will grow in learning how to trust God as revealed through the scriptures or that I will learn to hear his voice and follow his voice. That's not a foregone conclusion. I have to grow in that. I have to choose that. And what I choose today will affect what I'm capable of choosing tomorrow and what I'm capable of choosing the day after that. And when I choose not to trust God, it makes it difficult to be able to hear Him again the next day and to trust Him again the next day. There's two principles in Scripture that the Lord reveals, kingdom principles, that seem to be in contrast. And the difference between these two principles and how they play off of one another, I believe is so key to understanding the spiritual life and a journey with God. The first is the principle of grace. Grace means God giving us what we don't deserve, right? When God gives us the things that we don't deserve, that's grace. The center of grace is displayed on the cross when he gives us eternal life, justification, redemption, which we don't deserve. But grace happens, and we were just singing about it. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you. We don't deserve to take the air that we breathe. It's a gift from God. Grace is the core of God's character. God loves us, and so he just gives to us. He's a fountain of giving, because at the core of who God is, he is love, and he just loves to give to us. That's one principle. We understand that our relationship with God is based on the simple principle of grace. We got nothing. God's got everything. But there's another principle at play in the kingdom of God, which is called sowing and reaping. The principle goes like this. As you sow, you shall also reap. Those who sow according to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Those who sow according to the spirit will of the spirit reap eternal life. There's a cause and effect nature. It's I'm going to invest and there's going to be returns. Well, that's a little bit weird because if you think about world religion in general, the very thing that's supposed to separate true Christian faith, walking with Christ, is the fact that it's grace-based as opposed to sowing and reaping, which means the whole cause and effect of my life, the whole, like, if I do enough good for God, then God will do good for me. That's the religious system of every other religion in the world is based on that. The whole idea of karma and all of that, you know, like, I will invest positively into the universe and somehow the universe will invest positively back into me or there's a a a judge up there who if I do enough good things then he'll let me into the pearly gates because I gained his approval all of those things are based on this idea of sowing and reaping 
But when it comes to faith, this is how these two things come together. Our sowing and reaping is our choice to receive God's grace. To the extent that I am choosing to receive and trust God's grace, I am sowing in faith. Which is why in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves so that no one can boast. It's not of works. And that what's happening is, is that in chapter 17 of Genesis, we said, remember the whole story of Abraham's life was a poem? And that the middle of the story is the point of the story? And the middle of the story is the covenant? And you remember how the covenant happens where there's these pieces of animals, it's really gross, all ripped apart, and God walks through the animals while Abraham's sleeping? This whole picture of the covenant happens, our relationship with God, the blessing of God in our lives happens entirely by God, by His grace. And yet learning in my life to lean into that relationship and to trust God and let Him be God in my life, that's faith. And I can sow into faith. I can choose in any given moment to act like God isn't here, to act like God's not in charge, to use my own brain, to use my own resources, to use my own strength to figure out what I want to do. And in that case, I'm not tapping into the grace of God at all. I'm just choosing to live independently. But faith says in every given situation of my life, God is present and has grace for me. And I'm going to choose to tap into that grace. And to the extent that I invest and sow seeds of faith, even tiny little mustard seeds, there will be enormous fruit that can be yielded as I choose to walk in a place of faith. And this story here is the picture of where it can actually go. This is the bottom of the ninth inning in Game 7 of the World Series. Bases are loaded. It's a full count. We've fouled off like 10 in a row. Sounds like a a story back there. Some guy from the Dodgers, Gibson. I don't know if you remember that one. Abraham is, is right here. This is it. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham. After what things? After what things? I mean, they just had some contract with Abimelech. Is that what he's talking about? Maybe. He just had this, like, Hagar and, and uh, Ishmael just took off and had the whole thing at the well that Dave talked to the kids about last week. You know, was that it? Maybe. After these things. After all of these things. This is the end of the story. This is the end of the story of Abraham. And what's happening here is what he's saying is, is God has finally brought resolution to Abraham's life. This contract that he just had with Abimelech, the land that he's been fighting over and all the issues, just went to rest. He's been praying, God, man, I'm having such troubles with my neighbors. I can't even stand it. If I could just get my house to be at rest, it's at rest. Man, God, I know I messed up with Hagar and Ishmael, but I, I, it's just plaguing us that we don't know how to get peace in our family. God's like, I got that. I'm going to take that off your plate now. Go to rest. And of course, the greatest fulfillment of all is that he has this miracle baby born. <laughs> Isaac. And while he'll never get to see Jerusalem and all the nations, what he does get to see is he gets to see his very, very old wife give birth 
to their very, very young son, who is the promise being fulfilled. And everything in Abraham's life has now started to see the fulfillment. There's nothing left. It's all there. It happened. Like the job is there. The neighborhood's there. The marriage is there. The family's there. Like the American dream or whatever. You know, like it's like it happened for me. It all came together. And it says, after all these things, God tested Abraham. Why? We have two dogs at our house. I don't know if you know that. We have two dogs at our house. You're like, what? I thought you had one dog. We have the dog that knows I have a treat in my hand. And then we have the dog who sees a squirrel run across the yard. (laughs) Two very different dogs. Because the one dog knows all the commands and is very obedient and learns how to sit and do all of that. And the other one is like when a visitor shows up and boom, gone, you know, like the dog. Two very different dogs. Yeah, exactly. And in our lives, what I find is, is that when we need something, when I, have like, when I have a physical ailment, when I'm going through heavy grief, when I need that job and I don't have financial security, when life is broken, when I'm in relational turmoil, when my kids are doing whatever and I don't know how to handle it and all of that, there's that kind of Tim who somehow seems to be like, man, God, what do you want? What are you looking for, God? Man, what, what, you know, and I'm like very interested in tuning my ear to God's voice because I desperately need something from God. But then there's the moment when it's like, everything's pretty much secure and it's good and it's solid. And it might be that God's actually asking something of me and I never even hear it. Because I'm not tuned. Because I'm not looking to the hand of the master. Because I'm very distracted. Because I'm good. Because you blessed me. Man, it's in this moment that the testing comes because when we've received the blessing from God, do we still want God? And when we get God's provision, do we still look to the provider Or do we learn to rest just in the provision? And so God tests Abraham. And the very first thing he does is he tests Abraham by saying, Abraham, (laughs) which of course is the name, the new name that God gave to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. And he's reminding him of his identity. But he's also seeing if Abraham will listen. And he says, Abraham. And Abraham says a phrase that he'll say three times in this whole story. What's he say? Here I am. Very important three words for us to be willing to say to God, here I am. At your service, God. Here I am. I am what I am. Here I am. And he says, here I am. And so then this is where you see the poetry on just epic levels in this story. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Look at this. Look at the, if you, if you look at it in verse two, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Does that remind you of anything? Go to land. In, in, in 12, in chapter 12, verse one, at the very beginning of the story of Abraham, he says, leave your land, your country, your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. And here he says, take your son, 
your only son Isaac, who you love, and go to a mountain that I will show you. And this is Hebrew literature at its absolute best. It's the bookends of the story. This is how you know the whole thing's a poem. This is how, because he takes, the, he takes the canter of the first phrase from God and now he gives God's last command and they're in the, in the exact same expression. And one is leave your dad's house and go to a land that you won't know. And now he says, take your son to a mountain to give him up. Give up your dad, now give up your son. Go to a land that you don't know to restart life. Go to a mountain to give up your future and your legacy. And this whole thing is a big poem. And what's amazing is, is that this is not the crescendo of the story. This is the crescendo of Abraham's faith, but it is not the crescendo of the story. The crescendo of the story is the covenant that God forms with him in the middle. But what we see here is this is the height of where Abraham learns how to trust God in that covenant. But this isn't the story of Abraham. This is the story of God. So chapter 17, when they have a covenant, when God invites them into a relationship by grace, is what this story is all about. But the story we love to see is when someone actually can trust God because we need the hope that we could actually trust God and experience his presence in our life in that way. And so he calls to Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. And when he says, take his son, he does. And he says to go to the land of Moria and offer him up there as a burnt offering. Now, we know that this is really messed up, right? I mean, we, it's very, very hard for us to comprehend what's going on. And we won't take any time to talk about this other than this simple point is that uh, this is playing into all of what takes place in the idolatry of the land of Canaan. And you probably know that there's the God of Moloch who uh, that required child sacrifice. And so God's kind of taking the cultural understanding of how they did worship. And he's using that as a way to, to draw Abraham into this place. Okay. The land of Moria and the mountain that he will give to him. Do you know where that is? Anyone know where that is? Yes, this is, he's going to take him to Mount Zion. And this, of course, is where the temple will be, where sacrifices will be also offered. And this is ultimately where the sacrifice of all sacrifices will be offered, where a son will be given. And it'll be the son of God. Okay, and this is all the same place. What's amazing about what <laughs> drives me absolutely bonkers when it comes to relationship with God and when you come to watching these people of faith in the scripture is that they never know, rarely does anyone know what it is that God is actually doing in the story. They're just trying to be obedient and yet God is painting a Picasso. He's painting the, the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel with their life. And all the, they're just submitting to him. They're the brush stroke. And it's like, here's this amazing, all Abraham knows. There's no crowd watching. There's no one around. This is like a silent film. There is nothing happening. It's quiet. No one's watching. And in the midst of this story, God is writing the story of the ages. The one that for all of eternity, we'll look back and say, Thousands of years before Christ was crucified on that mountain, Abraham was supposed to take his kid and put him on that mountain and God provided and Abraham had no idea what kind of story he was a part of. It's amazing what God will do with our lives and we'll have no idea as long as we listen and obey. If we just tune in and follow God, he will do spectacular things with our lives spectacular things. So in this quiet story, it's a very quiet story. 
It says that Abraham gets up early in the morning. And, you know, of course, that means that he's obeying. In in verse 3, it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. And, uh, you know, that means immediate obedience, right? That's what that means. I want to challenge us this morning. If God has had something on your heart that you haven't obeyed him in yet, don't put it off. It will get harder, not easier. It won't make more sense. It'll make less sense. Don't wait till it makes sense to you. If there's something in the scripture that your life isn't in tune with, submit. Just get there and get it done. If God has been putting something on your heart to volunteer for something or to financially invest into something, if he's asking you to forgive someone of something or to let go of something or to go make something right, don't wait. Don't wait. There's no help in waiting. As soon as this service is over, go and deal with it. Rise up early in the morning and go get it done. Okay, and that's what he does. He goes, because he knows there's no sense in waiting. Okay, so he, he, and as he pursues the Lord, and as he goes to this mountain, and is involved in this incredible act, there's this moment where it says that he put the wood on Isaac's back. He took the knife in his hand and the fire in his hand, and he laid the wood on Isaac's back. And of course, we know that as Isaac climbs this mountain with wood on his back, it's supposed to, now looking back, this is Via Dolorosa. This is Jesus with wood on his back walking up to Calvary. And the level of prophecy that we see happening through this life is just staggering. And in the quietness as they walk, I just want you to picture like one of those films where you don't hear much going on, like uh, what's the Tom Hanks film where he's out on an island, you know, uh, with a volleyball or whatever, castaway. You know, there, there's these films that are very quiet where there's not much talking. And then anytime there is talking, it's like really profound. That's the way this story reads. Abraham's chopping wood, knowing what he's got to do with this wood. You know, lots of times I go out to chop wood to kind of blow off steam and to think things through. Imagine what's happening in him as he's chopping that wood. The whole thing's silent. Now they're walking up and there's the sounds of the donkey baying or whatever. And As Isaac's looking around, you just see the wheels spinning. And he's like, Dad? And when that word dad breaks in, Father, it just shatters the scene. Can you imagine Abraham's heart right now, knowing what's about to happen? And he hears his son, and the first word that breaks the silence, Dad? Dad, man, I'm looking around, and uh, there's wood, and you got a knife in your hand, there's fire but I don't see a sacrifice. What's Abraham's response to him when he says, Dad? Before that, here I am. I got nothing. Here I am. I'm just walking. Here I am. Abraham, here I am. Dad, here I am. What's going on, Dad? God's going to take care of it. I don't know, but God's going to take care of it. So he tells the men, you know, we'll be back. We're going to go worship. We'll be back. We're told in Hebrews what Abraham actually thinks is going to happen. In Hebrews, it says that Abraham thinks that God's going to raise his son from the dead. So he actually thinks he's going to have to kill his son here. But that God's going to raise him from the dead. Crazy, crazy moment. All right. I thought about this. This is we're gonna we gotta close up. But what I thought about doing was bringing wood in today and putting an altar up here, um, and uh, and just building a big fire-looking thing, and then and then asking Evan or Colton to come up here and having them sit on top of that thing. 
And I was like, I can't do that. You guys might call the cops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> won't work. And I'm like, even though it's a drama, and even though it's fiction, it's that messed up. But this is real life. And this guy's taking the provision that God gave him and the love of his life. And God's saying, is it still my story or is it yours? Are you the one in charge or am I? And so Abraham unsheathed the knife. And this is the moment, man, this is the moment. You know, this is the moment where you take everything that God has given to you and you lay it in front of the Lord and you say, this is your story, God. This is your story. And the knife comes out and it says he's about to slaughter his son. What? The level of irrational that's going on here, the level of faith is just insanity. And time after time, God has proven himself faithful to Abraham. So Abraham's not about to turn around now. And as he raises his arm, the angel cries out, Father of multitudes, Father of multitudes, stay your hand. Do not touch the boy. (laughs) And he looks over. And what does he see? Grace. He sees God's provision of a ram. He sees a 12-point buck wrapped up in a, his rack got hooked in a tree. And he can't get free. And he looks up and there it is because God will provide. Every time we trust God, we get to experience another level of God's provision and grace that we don't understand. But we don't get to experience it. We don't get the full measure of this unless we are willing to trust him when none of it makes sense. And that is the grand story of a man who with all of his ups and downs learned in the long run that even when God fulfills the whole thing and gives me everything he promised, at the end of it, if God says I want it back, God just wants to bless me more. Because I trust, I trust anyone who would have faith must believe that God exists and that he earnestly rewards those who seek him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, every one of us who um, attends church, who connects in the religious world, we all have that... uh, We know, Father, the temptation in us that wants to get to a place where we have the boxes checked, where our circumstances are in place, and where we can finally just rest, you know, and not have to fight for it and all of that. And when we finally just are are good and we're right and everything, and it seems like whenever we get to a place like that, that you're like very aware of the fact that our desire is actually to be independent. And that rest for us in our minds so easily is about being independent of need. We confess, God, that we believe so often that rest comes through control of our circumstances. When in fact, rest comes from releasing control and trusting you with our circumstances. And so, God, we confess that to you right now. And we confess that we are not Abraham in the height of his day, many, many times. And that because of that, there's a really decent chance that we don't see your provision. There's a really decent chance we don't even hear your voice when you're calling us. 
God, we ask that today, whatever the next step of faith is for each and every one of us, whatever you're calling us to trust you with, God, bring it to mind. Bring it to heart. Reveal it through your scripture. Awaken our hearts to hear from you and give us courage and boldness to trust that we, long before we are mature adults, that we are creatures and we are children and we have a dad who is good and we can trust you. Thank you. Thank you for your grace and letting us be with you. God, by your grace, grow our faith so that we can experience the fullness of your grace and know you more fully and show you more fully. God, we thank you and praise you for this gift of life. It is awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in peace.